Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study of the book of Hebrews. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see time and time again that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that ever was, is, or will be. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody here in the house, as well as those of you online. We're glad you're here, and we hope you'll come back and join us again next week. Now, we're bringing to a close this series on the book of Hebrews. And today, I'm not going to look at the last chapter, but the second to last chapter because of what it says. And, And so, as I prepare for this, would you just bow your heads and let me pray? Father, we thank you for the words that have been saved over all these centuries for us from the the book of Hebrews. We thank you for the message that you inspired and, and how it applies to our lives even now in 2022. So Lord, give us ears to hear and give us receptivity to live what you have taught us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, whether or not you're a hockey fan, if uh, you were alive on February 22nd, 1980, and, and probably not just alive, but more than uh, one or two or three or four, but uh, you would remember the event called the Miracle on Ice. Yes, uh, that was the day that the underdog U.S. hockey team made up of a whole bunch of college players defeated the four-time defending gold medal-winning Soviet team at the 13th Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. Now, the Soviet team had captured the previous four Olympic gold medals going back to 1964, and they had not lost an Olympic hockey game since 1968. And consider this. Three days prior to the Lake Placid Games beginning, the Soviets and the U.S. hockey team had had an exhibition game at Madison Square Garden, and they had routed the U.S. team 10-3. to But you see, there were these pesky little group of college kids from America playing the greatest hockey team in the entire world. And to be honest, there was no chance of them winning this game, and yet... Here they were winning, and with about a minute left, that that familiar sports commentator voice, Al Michaels, cried out, do you believe in miracles? And so it was, through all of that grit and determination, the miracle on ice came to be. Now, Was it uh, sheer blind, dumb luck that brought this team to the ability to be be able to pull it off? Of course it wasn't. Uh, A lot of it came down, quite honestly, and and, uh, commentators will say this, it came down to their coach, Herb Brooks, and what he did with his players. You see, Brooks knew he didn't have the best team in the world, but he became famous because he had a grueling fitness routine and he pushed his team right to their limits every single practice. His was a simple philosophy. He said, you know what? We may not have the best team, but we will have the fittest team. One of the reasons the U.S. team beat the Russians is that they simply wouldn't stop skating. 
And that was because of the training they had received. Herb Brooks trained his team with discipline. As he said, his team may not be the best, but they would have the greatest level of fitness. And what did that look like? I'm sure it included exercises to increase the player's endurance and, and whatever repetitive drills they made them do. Their lug muscles and their lungs must have screamed every practice as they burned. But Brooks knew if he disciplined his team that way, if he trained them like this, that they would be able to skate longer and faster and harder than any other team. They would go longer, go faster, and go harder because they had trained their bodies to push through the pain and they had trained their minds to accept that pain knowing that they had been through that before. And why am I telling you that? Well, today we're going to be talking about discipline, about training. Uh, this section of scripture that we're going to look at, it comes uh, right after the writer of Hebrews has encouraged his audience then and today to run with, ra- run with faith the race of perseverance, to, to persevere in the race of faith. So now, I've told you what we're going to talk about, and let's be honest, uh, no one likes the word discipline. Um, You know, we tend to think of discipline as negative, but maybe we think of training as something more positive. But but really, they're two sides of the same coin. A coach may make her team run as punishment because they did something wrong. If someone shows up late, she may give them five laps to run around the field. It's a correction measure for bad behavior. But she also may make them run to build up their endurance in general. Uh, Later in that same training season, the whole team may be running laps around the field, not because they've done something wrong, but because of their training. And, And if you were looking at that training session from a distance, just watching the players run around the field, you wouldn't know which reason was motivating the coach. Is she disciplining them or training them? In a sense, it doesn't matter. It is all to make them better runners and better members of the team. And that is the same perspective that we should have about God's discipline. Sometimes God disciplines us because we do wrong things. Sometimes he brings discipline just to make us better runners in the race of faith. It's not always clear which of these God is doing, but in a sense, it doesn't matter. We can trust that our Heavenly Father, who, who knows what we need, is making us fitter and more prepared to run the race of faith. So, this section tells us why discipline is so important to our lives as we seek to follow Jesus. So, let's just start off with the obvious. Discipline is painful. Discipline is painful. The writer of Hebrews starts off this section making an important connection between Jesus, between Jesus Christ and his followers, Christ followers. He reminds them of all the pain and shame that Jesus endured from sinful people to purchase our salvation. And he says, don't grow weary and give up on running the race of faith. And then he says, After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. He's saying, listen, that the challenges and difficulties of running the race of faith, of following Jesus, 
will come with hardships and persecution, just like it did for Jesus. But don't give up, because it hasn't pushed you to the brink of having to give your life up like Jesus did. Now, in verse 7, he equates this persecution and these difficulties as divine discipline from God. In other words, it's training for following Jesus throughout our lives. And as we endure it, it will help us grow in faith. So then he states the obvious. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. So going back to verse 7, it says, uh, it is for discipline that you have to endure. This means that God allows suffering as a way to train the followers of Jesus. Isn't that true? I mean, I can tell you personally, I have learned more and grown more in the difficult seasons of life, through the trials of life, than I have through the easy times of life. I have increased in my emotional and spiritual endurance. I've grown stronger in my faith, and I've learned to trust God even more because I've gone through those difficult times, whether it was because I'm a follower of Christ, or when I've just gone through hard times that have tested my resolve to trust God, or when I've suffered from the consequences of my own sinfulness. It's taught me that I can follow Jesus and be faithful to him. Now, C.S. Lewis was a Christian, and he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, and this is what he said. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Yes, discipline is painful. Training is painful. But God uses that in our lives to teach us and help us grow in faith. The author also tells us this, that that discipline identifies us as God's child. Now let me read to you the scripture where the author starts off by quoting from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? So, all of us were children at one time, and all of us experienced discipline from our parents. When we were chasing a toy that rolled into the street, your parents scolded you to keep you from going into the road. If you kept chasing that toy into the road, they may have upped the discipline, maybe with a spanking or something. Why? Because your parents did this to teach you the limits to protect you because they loved you and they wanted you to be safe because you were their beloved child, their daughter, their son. 
You were their precious child, and they didn't want any harm to come to you. Our parents discipline us because they loved us. And it's the same thing with God. God disciplines us because he loves us. As these verses tell us, when God disciplines us, it validates that he loves us as his daughters, as his sons, as his children. So if God's discipline so if God's discipline shows that he loves and cares about us when we are identified as his, as his child, so it's a way of being disciplined that should comfort us with the reality of knowing that we belong to God. And the author says that the converse is true also. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Consider what that means then. Having an easy life without any discipline from God is not a sign that God is pleased with you. In fact, it may mean the opposite. It may mean that not only is God displeased with you, but also that you really aren't considered his child because you really haven't come to faith with him and started following him. That means that God's discipline is not a sign that God is out to get you any more than it meant that your parents were out to get you when they disciplined you. The reality of that drives the author to ask this question of the readers, of us. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Our, our heavenly father. So, if we're God's sons and daughters through faith in Jesus, then we should accept his discipline because we trust that God knows what is best. There's something else about discipline, and I've already alluded to it. Discipline makes us stronger. I think about this in my own life. A few years ago, I started having pain in my left foot to the point where I really couldn't do some of the things that I enjoy doing, like running and hiking. In fact, many times I couldn't stand for long periods of time because the pain was so uncomfortable. And so I started going to doctors. I, I think I went in total to like five podiatrists. I had acupuncture. I went to a chiropractor. I went to a couple of different physical therapists. And finally, I went to a physical therapist who said, listen, I, I want to spend some time with you. And so he said, spent an hour with me and he watched me walk up and down and he manipulated my foot and then up my leg and up to my hip and he said listen the problem is not with your foot you've got weak muscles up your leg you need to strengthen those muscles well you know what I did I started doing those those exercises I started training those muscles to be stronger and now I am here two years later I don't have that foot pain and you want to be Rest assured, I do those exercises several times a week because I don't want to go back there. Training makes you stronger. Discipline makes you stronger. So God's discipline for us makes us stronger also. Let me read verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, we will never be holy like God is, but he commands us and he calls us to be holy like he is. He calls us to seek to uh, live a life like Jesus and follow him and his teaching. I think about what we've all lived through in the past two years. 
It's been difficult on all of us in different ways. And, and we all have a story of, of that hardship and of that difficulty. But there has been an opportunity in this crisis, as there is with every crisis. Uh, the, the pandemic provided us with an opportunity to lean on God and to go deeper in our relationship with him and live out what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. In the midst of this hardship, uh, unlike anything that we've ever experienced in our lives or known, uh, we had the opportunity to let God train us, to let God Speak to us in the midst of difficulties and pain and suffering. And when we do that, God makes our faith stronger. To lean into suffering instead of away is to let God train us as we seek to be faithful followers to us. Now listen, God didn't make the pandemic happen, but he allowed it to happen. And he can use it to teach us, to discipline us, because it's good for us. And if we lean into it, it increases our holiness like God is holy. Well, here's the final thing we learn about discipline. Discipline keeps us in the race of faith. In verse 11, the author says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that while God's discipline is, is painful, it keeps us in the race because it trains us. It trains us in the right way to live for God. Whatever you want to do in life, you know, whatever you want to do well, you have to discipline yourself with training. If you want to sing well, you have to practice. You have to discipline yourself with training. If you have an injury to your body and you want to get well, once it's healed up, you've got to retrain yourself to do that, whatever it is. Walk again, talk again, whatever it is. If you want to get a college degree, you have to discipline yourself to study. If you want to do well in athletics, you have to discipline yourself with training. So that's how we should accept God's discipline. It's an opportunity to be trained by God, to grow in faith, and to stay in the race of faith. And so the author of Hebrews exhorts us saying this, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Discipline keeps us in the race of faith. That's what he's saying. And then he tells us to persevere and stay in the race. And so let me read these last verses. He says, Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. 
So as the author of Hebrews brings this section to a close, he's telling us that we have both a, a personal and a corporate responsibility for staying in the race of faith. Personally, we have to deal with ourselves, but because being a part of the body of Christ, being a Christian means you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a group of people who say Jesus is Lord. We have a responsibility to one another. So let's look at the the personal part first. It's about living a holy life. So back in verse 14, it says this, work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, it starts with this command to live a holy life. And then it says something interesting, that if you don't live a holy life, you won't see the Lord. Now, to be clear, uh, this doesn't mean that you earn your way to heaven through holiness, but it does mean if you love Jesus Holiness is a result of your commitment to him. Holiness is not the condition of salvation. It's the consequence of being saved. If you are not on a trajectory toward holiness, you may wonder whether you are really in the race of faith at all. Have you really accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? So that explains why our author says that we should work at living a holy life. Even if holiness is not the grounds of our salvation, it is nonetheless something that followers of Jesus need to pursue eagerly. We need to pursue a life of holiness. And then the author goes on in verse 16 and 17 and says this, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn for a single meal. So what's he getting at here? Well, here's this practical illustration from someone in Scripture who did not stay in the race of faith. So in the book of Genesis, we read about Esau and his brother. Esau traded his birthright as the firstborn. He would receive the blessing from the father, not the secondborn. He traded that birthright to his secondborn brother for a bowl of porridge. So the the big picture is here is that he traded something of lasting importance and value for the short-term pleasure of a hot meal, all right? Esau didn't consider the consequences of his actions, and thus he did not stay in the race of faith. So we need to stay in the race of faith by pursuing a holy life following Jesus, That's what we're personally called to do and mind in our own lives. But remember, I said there's a corporate part too. We're supposed to look after each other. So going back to verse 14, work at living in peace with everyone. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So here's a sad reality of the past several years. You and I have watched as our culture has become more and more toxic. Instead of living in peace with each other, people are becoming more contentious and more hostile toward one another as they deal with differences of opinions. It's okay to have differences of opinion, 
but it's not okay to create division. So the sad reality is this, is that there seems to be very little difference between non-Christians and Christians in this anger and hostility. And yet followers of Jesus are the ones that he specifically commands to love one another as we love ourselves. And we know how we want to be loved and cared for. But he also says this, by the way that we love one another, people will know we are his disciples. So we're supposed to look after each other. We're supposed to follow Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus himself said that people will see our good works and they'll praise God in heaven, not us. I recently heard a pastor say, and I thought it was great, he says, you know, disagreements are normal, but division is sinful. And so as the body of Christ, we need to work to not have divisions. Yes, we can disagree about things and we can learn to do that in love. We don't have to embrace the ways of the world as we do that. So ultimately, we're talking about God's discipline, that he desires for us to walk and follow him, modeling the same behavior that was modeled to us in his son, Jesus Christ, that we're supposed to, to love one another and care for one another, and that we understand that God disciplines us because that's our identity. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We're part of his family, and that discipline is training to make us stronger in the race of faith. So let me encourage you and even challenge you to think this through. In fact, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up for our final song, but, but here's my challenge. You know, discipline, training can be painful, but it makes us stronger. It keeps us in the race of faith. So we need to lean into God's discipline and we actually need to embrace it and let God train us. So what's one way we can do that? Very simply, one way you can do that is every morning when you wake up, before your feet hit the ground, you can ask God to help you run the race of faith and to do it well in holiness like he does and, and ask him to help you love others in the same way he loves you. Ask him to open your heart and your mind to being his son or daughter in the way you live in this world, in the way you treat one another, and as you pursue holiness. So I want to close with that very prayer for us today. Yet yeah, we've already uh, been awake for a while, probably had a couple of cups of coffee, but let's pray that prayer for us right now. Would you bow your heads? God, as we lean into this idea that you discipline us to train us and that you desire for us to follow your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, we ask that you would help us accept that and understand that because we're your children, you will discipline us because you love us and you want what is best for us. So Lord, let us accept that and embrace it. Lord, let us lean into that. And Lord, today we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to help us run the race of faith today and every day, to seek to love others like you, to seek to live a holy life that honors you, and to seek to be your son and daughter 
who follows our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.